Well, praise the Lord. Amen. We're glad to be in the house of God this morning. Thank you so much for those that have joined us in-house and those that have joined us on live feed. Thank you for being 
here with us today. We want to go to the Lord in prayer. We do have several connected to the church that are sick. I want to be much in prayer for them. Uh, we also have some that are on the road traveling. We want to be much in prayer for them as well. Uh, if you're in-house and have a prayer request, let me know by lifting your hand. God knows the needs. If you've joined us on live stream, text the keyword prayer to 205-642-8744. We want to partner together with you in prayer. Let's go to God in prayer and ask God to touch and minister in the service today. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today again. Thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for this great opportunity that you've allowed us to come to worship and praise you. Father, today I pray that you'll move and minister in a mighty way in our Sunday school classes today. You see every teacher that's here today. You see the word that they have been preparing this week to bring forth to the students that's in the classes today. Father, I pray that you'll touch and minister to each one. Touch the students that they would be able to hear your word, open their minds and their hearts to be able to receive your word and allow it to work and minister in their lives. And God, I thank you for what you've done and what you're going to continue to do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The title of this lesson, very... Um, can be a very controversial topic because a lot of people, they say, I'm not going to church because of the XYZ problems that I have that is faced in the church. I have gotten hurt in church. I have, this is happening in church. This is happening. And I'm not going to church because of whatever it may be. Fill in the blank, whatever that may be. I've been told, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites at church. And I have responded very quickly without thinking there's always room for one more. The point is, church is not, and okay, when I'm using this word church, I'm talking about us, this gathering together. We know that we, you and I, are the church, right? The gathering as the body, that's what I'm referring to as the church is this body, other bodies that has assembled together to form a body of believers, that's what we're referring to as the church. So guess what happens? Guess what's taking place? This church has problems. The church has, is not perfect. There ain't a person in here connected to this body, connected to any church. None of us are perfect. We all have a different personality. We all have a different uh, way of looking at things. We all have different uh, attitudes and things of that nature, good and bad attitudes. All of those things, are they make up what the church is. Well, And I've had people to say, well, so-and-so is da-da-da, uh, whatever, bad attitude, this, this, this. Well, you know what? My philosophy has always been God changed me to be able to be a better person to help them to improve their life. It's not about God change them, God do something in them. It's about God change me to help them. And so what we've got to understand, yes, each one of us needs to have an improvement. Each one of us needs to go forward. But there are things in the church world just like Walmart, just like the restaurant, just like where you work at. People will say, they'll complain all day long about McDonald's doesn't have their ice, ice cream machine is, is messed, up, messed up. They'll complain all day long about uh, how nasty XYZ restaurant's food is. 
complain all day long that Walmart has self-checkouts and not enough registers open. Does all these sound familiar? But the very next day, what are they doing? They're going to Walmart. They're going by McDonald's just to the happenstance that the ice cream machine may be fixed today. They go back to the same restaurants many a times that even though the food was nasty the last time, they'll go back to the same places. Here's what we've got to understand. We don't stay away from Walmart or anything else. Why? Because, well, we've got to go there. This, we don't stay away from our jobs. Many times, every one of us in here, in-house, live feed, every one of us can say, well, my job, blah, 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 blah. These are things that I'm facing at my job. These are things that are happening here. These are things, these are things. And every one of us has complained at one point in time or another about our job sites, about the workforce where we work at, about so-and-so that's in the next cubicle over. But guess what? Monday morning... We're getting up and doing what? We're going to work. I've had people to tell me, well, I have to go to job. I have, y'all hear what I'm saying? I have to go to work because I have to get a paycheck. I ha that is very important. That's a priority. I hear that all the time. But guess what? Being in the house of God is more of a priority than even going to our job. Why? Because our souls is what's hanging in the balance. The spirituality of our lives is what hangs in the balance. And in a thousand years from now, it's not going to matter whether you made $14 or $15 an hour or you made $20 an hour or, or McDonald's got your ice cream right. But what is going to matter a thousand years from now is where you're spending eternity. That's what's important. And so we've got to understand in this unit, and I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be going back through personally, I think that this would be awesome. I'm going back through this unit one more time later, doing some more studies, doing some more, and we may be teaching this again, maybe on a Wednesday night or something, but the church as a unit theme that we've been looking at has been phenomenal in my life. This has been a great thing. It's opened up, and I hope that it's, I hope you're digging into this and it's opening up things in your life as well. So today's Sunday school lesson under the unit theme the church, this unit, this Sunday school lesson today is working through church problems. Working through church problems. There's things that we work through and we can manage to go through those things without alienating others that, are go, to that go to church, others that are, that are part of the church, leadership in the church, members of the church, there's things that we can do to be a part of the church. So this morning we're looking at church problems can be solved by listening to the Holy Spirit and applying biblical principles. Church problems can be solved by listening to the Holy Spirit and applying biblical principles. I've, I've said this before. I've used this example before. Uh, uh, my, my pastor, my pastor that I grew in, grew up in, my pastor, he, he told me many a times, he said, never react when somebody, something happens in the church. Don't, don't do a knee-jerk reaction. Don't do a, 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 an action very quickly. He said, let it happen. Stop and think about it. Pray about it. Seek God over it. Then go back to that. And here's why. Because I'm going to tell you something. God can take care of a lot of things if we step back and let him handle the situation. So church problems can be solved 
by listening to the Holy Spirit and applying biblical principles. The second thing that we're going to focus on today is to examine the problems that can plague churches and apply biblical solutions. I've had people say, I've had, had young ministers say this. Had them say this to me. They'll say, oh, I, I want to be the pastor of XYZ Church. And they're talking about these mega churches. They never pastored a church before. And they want to go into a church that's running five, six, seven hundred thousand people. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, you go right ahead. I want to do that. Here's what people don't realize. The bigger the church, the more the problems. Why? Because you got more people. And here's what we've got to realize in our lives. Every church, no matter if they're running 10 or 10,000, every church has problems in those churches. There's problems in every church. There's not a perfect church. But we need to apply biblical solutions to those problems. But the major evangelical emphasis for the church world regardless of the problems, regardless of the situation, regardless of what's going on, the major emphasis is that the church needs to be reaching unsaved people. That is the greatest challenge that the church has. Why? We've talked about this a, a few Sundays ago. We've talked about this, how that, a, how that a pastor, a new pastor went into a community and he, his, there's a lady in the church that said, I need you to go. I'd love for you to invite my son. I'd love for you to go witness to my son. I'd love for you to go talk to my son. He works at the local hardware store. Well, the pastor needed something for the church, and so he goes down to the local hardware store. He finds this young man, and he finds what he needed. Then he finds this young man. He just introduces himself to him. And the young man said this. He said, I know exactly who you are. You're the pastor of my mom's church. He said, oh, good, I, I just want to introduce myself and invite you to church. He said, there ain't no way I'd go to church over there. So the pastor said, why? He said, because every Sunday my mom comes home and tells me everything you've done wrong, every, every word that you said in your sermon that was wrong, how she differs with you on this, how she differs with you on that, and we have you for lunch every Sunday. He said, I ain't going to your church. What we've got to understand is how we represent God to the world makes a difference, makes a difference. And so we, as the greatest challenge that the church world faces is reaching unsaved people. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Look at what it says. For in one spirit, for in one spirit we all, were all baptized into one body. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of one spirit. We're all one body. We're not fighting against one another. It's not big me, little you, little you, big you, little me. It's we're all one body in Christ. In any organization, just like it is with the church world, in any organization, in any setting, when you, have more, when you have two or more people there, there's always going to be differences of views, difference of traditions, different histories, different uh, social standings, so on and so on. And guess what happens in that? It always is going to bring conflict. However, contrary to what many believe, conflict does not have to be negative. 
Conflict does not have to be negative. When conflict is handled effectively, it can be a catalyst for positive change. We can have conflict that is a catalyst for positive change. Here several years ago, the need arose where we needed another room to be a nursery room here at the church. We have a mother's room now. We have a mother's room downstairs, and then we have a nursery upstairs. We needed a separation of those two. When everything was downstairs in one room, if we had a mom that was here that needed, they have to go in there with all these other folks that are, we have a nursery in there. They have two or three other kids in there, and maybe one or two other adults in there. And so the, there, there was a conflict. It wasn't a bad conflict, but there was something that happened that needed to be a change. And so it presented a problem that was a catalyst to make a positive change. As the early church grew, the book of Acts, as the early church grew and new Gentile believers were added, the Jewish church was forced to distinguish between practices and beliefs essential to the faith in Christ and those that were non-essential to salvation. Let me give you an example. Now, this is not a, a biblical, this is not from what they was facing. This is something that would face our world today. I firmly believe that baptism in water is a, an, a, an essential part of a, church, of a believer's growth in God. What does it mean? It means that I, I've gotten saved, and I want to tell the world around me I am a born-again Christian. I'm following Jesus Christ as my Savior. Then I believe that that is a... That is a time that there needs to be a baptism. There needs to be a baptism in water. However, does that mean that if somebody doesn't get baptized in water that they're not saved? No, it doesn't. What it means is, is this is a great effective tool to tell the world around, I am following Jesus. But just because somebody doesn't get baptized in water does not mean that they're not going to heaven. There's many of folks that have given a deathbed confession, so to speak. Don't be honest with you. I don't have enough faith to make sure that I do a deathbed confession because I don't know when it's going to be my appointed time to die. I'm not going to wait till then. I'd love to get saved now. This is my philosophy on this. Get saved now and do something for God instead of waiting until the very, 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 very end and make a chance that I'm going to get saved. People die instantaneously in car wrecks all the time. There's no deathbed confession there. So what I'm telling us is this. Belief is we need to have baptism in water. However, that is a non-essential practice to somebody's salvation. Using that as an example, what, we need to, what we've seen in the early New Testament church in the, in the book of Acts, when the New Testament church is starting to grow and starting to flourish, they had to take a look at those things. Baptism in water is an example I just used. They had to look at that and they had to say, okay, this is essential to salvation. This is a non-essential practice to salvation. Many Jewish believers, the shift away from the long-held religious customs was a difficult transition. Y'all remember me telling you the story about the, the pastor that goes to a church? The communion table is there, and it has this white sheet draped across it, and there's, you can tell there's stuff under it. 
Well, several services go by, and he says, he tells the church secretary, he says, I want to do communion this coming up Sunday. And she says, okay, well, we, so, sister so-and-so takes care of that. That coming Sunday comes up, he takes, uh, she comes in, and she's taking the sheet off when it's time for communion. This beautiful, ornate communion set is laid out there. So they do communion, and then shortly after, she comes back, and she puts the bed sheet back over it. He's scratching his head, and he's trying to figure out what's going on here. So a couple of weeks goes by. He comes in. He lifts, and sure enough, that ornate, that set is under that white sheet. So he goes, and he takes the sheet off. Boy, it ticks everybody off in the church. People are so mad. How dare he do that? How dare he take that white sheet off? People are, half the church is ready to, for his resignation. The other half the church is ready for his body to disappear. They're just, they're ticked off at him. Fast forward through the story. He sits down and he talks to this great saint that's been there since basically the beginning. He sits, everybody kept telling him, you got to talk to her, you got to talk to her, you got to talk to her. So he kneels down next to her. He starts to talk to her and he says, he says, I'm so glad that you're a part of this church. And she said this, he said, she said, before we talk, can I tell you something? He says, what's that? He's, she said, I sure am glad you took that white sheet off of that, ornate, off of that beautiful communion set. People in the church just sort of gasped. And he looked at her and he said, why was that sheet there? He said, well, when we built the building, you see those windows? He said, yes, I do. He said, we didn't have glass in those windows. It was just an opening and we put the bed sheet over there to keep the flies out of the communion set. So here's what we've got to understand is there's things that are, quote, traditions in the church that are not necessarily essential to salvation. Amen? Vacuuming the floor is not essential to salvation, but I sure am glad it's vacuumed. There's some things that need to continue to be a part of the church. Vacuuming the floor is one of those things. But if the floor doesn't get vacuumed, Brother Larry, somebody still can get saved. And that's what we've got to realize and understand in, and this is one of the biggest things of church problems that comes up in the church world. Early on, the Holy Spirit prompted Simon Peter to reach out to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Peter also had to overcome his prejudice to go to the centurion's home. Things were changing. Things were happening. When, when Peter and Cornelius... When Peter met Cornelius' house, Cornelius and his household were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter was convinced that the gospel was also for the Gentiles, and he began to share this conviction with the Jewish leaders. But when they heard Peter's testimony, when they heard Peter saying that, the salva that salvation was also for the Gentiles, they began to become quiet. They didn't know how this was going to go on. But the insight prompted the church to begin to reach out to the Gentiles, and it created a need for more clarity in the growth of the New Testament church. So there was something that comes up after that. It's called legalism and prejudice. Legalism and prejudice. You can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11, and then 22 through 29. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, 
and then 22 through 29. Let's read, start off at, ver let's read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip down uh, to verse 7. Starting in verse 1 and 2, then we'll skip to 7 through 11. Some men came down from Judea and was teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this particular question. Verse 7. And after they had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them giving, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Made, he made no distinction. God made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their heart by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting something else on salvation? That's basically what he's, this next verse says. It says this, verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing the yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Verse 11. But what we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So let's take a look at these verses, verses 1 through 11. Let's take a look at this and break it down a little bit. Paul and Barnabas began to see powerful evangelical results among the Gentiles. You've got to remember the Gentiles, what we would say today was the unchurched. The Jews believed the Gentiles was the heathens. So in other words, this is those that are on the highways and the byways. This is those that are unclean. This is those that are nasty looking. This is all of those. Guess what? Me and you are Gentiles. We're part of the Gentile nation. This is where this was coming from. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that Simon Peter went to the Jewish leaders and said, hey, salvation is not only for us, but it is also for those that are Gentiles. It's for you and I. So Paul and Barnabas began to see this powerful evangelical result coming from the Gentile nation. But there were still Jewish believers that believed that the Gentiles must assimilate <clears throat> must assimilate to all the Jewish customs and traditions. Let me pause right there because I need us to realize something. This is something that I believe has been lost in, in many churches. When someone comes in, non-Christian, they come in, they ain't going to look like us, they ain't going to act like us, they may not even worship like we, what we do once they get saved. They don't know what this stuff is about. They don't know what this Christianity stuff is about. They may not have ever heard about it. They may have been in church and left church and come back. There's going to be differences. But there are some things that assimilation to the church world has to take place in their lives. Amen? There are things that has to happen. There are things that has to take place. A lifestyle change 
must be evident in their lives. A lifestyle change has got to be something that's a part of their lives. This is not all of what Simon Peter was talking about. Simon Peter was saying, hey, just because they've never done these things does not mean they cannot be saved. No matter what assimilation you think is possible. Okay, just because a guy comes into the church and they get saved does not mean that, they, that they've got to dress like me. That does not mean that. Somebody's asked me, why do I always wear suits for church? Well, number one, this is just the way I was raised. But number two, I like suits. It ain't got nothing to do with a religious thing. You're never going to find it in the scriptures that thus set the word of God. You have to wear a three-piece suit in order to be saved. It's not in the Bible. If I was to dress like Bible folks did, guess what? I got a dress on. Why? Because they wore robes. You're not going to find this dress attire in the church or in the Bible. This does not mean you're saved. I just like these suits. That has nothing to do with anybody else. Some people say, well, the, the, I've seen those folks that wear suits, that wears a suit, and they're not going to do anything. Let me tell you something. I've, I've been in this three-piece suit, and I've been cleaning the toilet in the exact same dress like this. It, this does not mean that I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I can promise you that. You can ask any guy in this church. I've been in the, I have used a mop in a three-piece suit. Okay? This does not mean that I am better than anybody else. I just like this. And so what we've got to realize and understand, there are some assimilation things that has to take place, lifestyle change. Those things must take place. But just to wear a suit means you get saved is not the case. And this is what Simon Peter was talking about. Peter understood there's a hindrance to effectively reaching the Gentiles. He understood the old works of the law were no longer necessary under the new covenant. There was things under the old law that you do not have to do under the new covenant. What are those? Did anybody bring a turtle dove to church today? No. But Larry, did you bring a lamb to church today? <laughs> you just want something to eat. <laughs> None of those things are happening. It did not take place. Sister Nellie, you didn't bring a goat today or, or a sheep or anything like that, did you? You brought yourself. <laughs> We've got to realize these things. Upon arriving in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas testified to the great things God was doing among the Gentiles. Their report was received well. Their report was received well. However, some of the believers, some of the religious leaders, y'all, everybody knows my philosophy on religion and religious leaders, right? I want a relationship that's not about religion. The religious leaders are the one that stopped Jesus. I'm so sick and tired of those folks that are stuck in the mud that are not willing to allow God to make a change in people's lives. I'm tired of that. Upon arriving, the religious into Jerusalem, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they were not ready to receive the Gentiles into the fellowship of faith unless they was willing to embrace Jewish practices. So let's apply this to our lives. You got, you got, you got Dan and you got Tony back here in the sound booth. 
If I was to tell them, Sister Nelly, this would be funny, okay? If I was to tell them, in order to be a part of this body of believers, you must wear this suit. I didn't... They both are leaving. <laughs> I didn't say... I did not say a suit that was their size. We all know that they're about one size bigger than me. I said they have to wear this suit. That's a problem. And this is what, what why am I saying it like that? Because this jacket, they can't, they can't wear. I'm not making fun of them. I'm not being ugly about this. I'm saying they cannot wear this jacket. Why? This jacket is not their size. This is mine. This is my size. This jacket has actually been uh, uh, this jacket has actually been tailored and been taken up in places and, and hemmed in places to fit me, not Tony and Dan. Here's what we've got to realize. This goes back to the working out our salvation with fear and trembling. What affects into my salvation may not affect in somebody else's. There are things such as thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not uh, bear false witness, thou shalt not commit adultery. There are those things that applies to everybody. But just because I wear a suit and they don't does not mean that they're not welcomed into the house. Does that make sense? Is that, is, is that understanding? And that's what is applying right here in, this, in these scriptures. The religious leaders was looking at Tony and Dan and saying, mm -mm, because you won't wear that suit, you got to go, boys. You know what they said? Tony and Dan said, well, bye, Felicia, I'm gone. They're out the back door. That's what was taking place. They insisted, the religious leaders of that day insisted on circumcision and keeping the law of Moses. This was a critical point in the history of Christianity. Would the church religious leaders recognize that the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary is sufficient? When we start tying something that we've got to do something else in order to be saved, we're degrading the value of the cross, the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. When we're saying then in order to be saved, you got to wear this jacket. In order to be saved, your hair has to be cut like mine. In order to be saved, there is something else that has to be done. Then guess what? You're degrading the value of the blood. There's nothing greater than the blood of Christ. There's nothing of more value than the blood of Christ. It's already been paid for. It's already been shed. Enough is enough. This is what's going on here. Up to this point, it seems the largely Jewish members of the church had continued to observe most of the law with the exception of the sacrifices. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and they knew that the sacrifices was no longer necessary. However, there were other customs and traditions that was being kept. And they started stating, such as circumcision, that these things was necessary for salvation. The conflict was about to create an opportunity for a positive change in the New Testament church. When they came together, Peter stood up 
and cautioned the church against adding works to the law of the grace of God. If we start adding works to the plan of salvation, then we're saying that the blood of Christ is not enough. That's what Peter was saying. Salvation comes. Acts 15 and verse 11 says that salvation comes through faith in Jesus. The, in the, salvation comes through faith in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for not only the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, the heathens, the drunks, the prostitutes, the dope addicts. It is sufficient for everybody. So in Acts chapter 15, verse 22 and 23, a, re a letter is written to the Gentile believers. Take a look at 22 and 23, and then we'll go down to 28 and 29. 22 and 23, and then 28 and 29 of Acts chapter 15. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barabbas. This is not the same. This is not the same Judas that betrayed Jesus, okay? So be sure to remember that. They sent, uh, choose from among them and send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. Verse 23. This, they had this letter with them. The following letter was with them. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are with the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Sicily, greetings. Then I go down to verse 28 and 29. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Verse 29 that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, what has been strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you'll do well. Farewell. That's all they said. So what does this mean? Does this mean that, oh, somebody's gotten saved and therefore there's more to the plan of salvation, there's more to, more to what's going on than what's there, than, and, and, and things are going to go? No. What this is telling us is this. What this is saying is, hey, once you get saved, it does not stop. I had people to tell, I'll, I'll ask somebody, I've been in the altar, I've been, I've been sitting on these pews, I've, I've sat in a cha two chairs sitting right over here talking with people, I, I've, been in, I've been in a church service and have an altar setting, and people, be, and I'll say, are you saved? They'll be in their 50s, they'll be in their 60s, they'll be in their 80s. And I'm using that, using those, those ages as a very important factor here, what I'm fixing to say. Sister Nell, I've talked to people and they'd be, they be a lot older than I am. And I'm not being that a derogatory. I'm just, I want you to hear something. They'll be whatever their age is, and they'll say, sure, I got saved when I was six years old. Well, the next question is, is what have you done since then? I've had some to respond, they'll say, well, nothing, because I'm saved. Well, that's not the way this works. But Larry, when you got hired at the job, you went to, uh, you was a welder. It was a place uh, over in Talladega, wasn't it? U.S. Steel, and then you've done a couple other places. You was, you was hired in as a welder. 
You got the skill sets of a welder, right? Okay, you've learned how to be a welder over the years. You've improved your skill as being a welder, right? Okay. Now, if you'd have been hired at XYZ Company as a welder when he was 18 years old, you can't say six because he better be in pre better be in kindergarten, right? He gets hired in as a welder at 18 years old. He never improves his skill set. He never touches a welding torch, never touches metal, never learns more, never does anything to improve. Do you think he's going to keep that job? He goes in there at that welding bench, and he sits there, and he looks at that welding torch and thinks that those two pieces of metal has got to go together, and he never does anything. Do you think that Brother Larry's going to keep that job? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, he ain't. I give him two days. That boss man going to look at him and say, look, you've told me you can do X, Y, you've told me all this stuff you can do. We're willing to even send you to school to do more, but you're just going to sit there and look at it? Have you lost your mind? You think we're going to pay you? Absolutely not. Pack your bags. Get out of Dodge. You're gone. That's, look, why do we think that that's going to work? And then why do we think, well, I got saved when I was six years old, and I don't have to do nothing else, and I'm still saved. Well, glory to God, I'm 67 years old, and, and I've done nothing for the kingdom of God, and I must still be saved because I got saved when I was six years old because the Sunday school class, everybody came down to an altar, and I didn't want to be the only one sitting back. So I came down and I repeated those words that they said and they said I was saved, so therefore I must be saved. Why do we think that that's what's, that does not happen? But, oh, but Brother Andy, our works doesn't save us. No, but our works after is what keeps us in the plan of salvation, keeps us as a disciple of Christ. We got to do something. We cannot sit back and do nothing and think God's going to just let everything happen. Paul and Barnabas testified of God working miracles. James, the half-brother of Jesus, became a prominent leader of the, of the church in Jerusalem. And he makes the case to the Gentiles that, or that the Gentiles do not need to embrace the Old Testament laws in order to become believers. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the one that's doing this. The apostles and the elders, they agreed and they sent men from the church of Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas, to go back to the Antioch church with a letter expressing the church's decision. The letter, we know that some have claimed to come from us and tried to get the Gentiles to follow the laws and to keep the law. You need to understand, that was not from us. You know, as a pastor of this church, I've had many a times and I sure do wish that it would not happen like this, but this happens. And many a time, somebody will come to me two years later, and they'll say, well, so-and-so said, you said, duh, 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 duh. I said, well, if you had a disagreement about it, you had an argument about it, why didn't you come and talk to me about it? Because apparently I'm the one that said it. Well, they said you said it, so we just left it at that. If you think I said something, I can promise you if you come and talk to me, I'm a big boy. It, 
If I didn't say it, I'd agree I didn't say it. If, Stan, if Tony tells Stan, Tony, don't do this. If Tony tells Stan, hey, Brother Andy said that in order to be a Christian, in order to be a part of this church, you've got to wear his jacket. Stan's like, and I'd bust the seams on that thing. I mean, you're just a tiny bit bigger than I am. I'm a small dude. But if, if Tony tells Stan, you, in order to be a part of this church, you've got to wear that jacket. Stan gets upset. Well, I, I want to be a part of the church, but I can't wear that jacket. You'd put it on split the seam. You'd split the seams on purpose. Now, Sister Bartiman might could put my jacket on. It'd swallow you, wouldn't it? What we've got to realize and understand is this is what was going on. Is, is, is uh, Peter, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they, they sent a letter and said, hey, we know that somebody's come to you and that somebody has said, hey, blah, 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 that you, you've got to do this in order to be saved. We didn't say that. It was not from us. The letter goes on and it prays the work of Paul and Barnabas among the Gentiles, highlighting how the matter was discussed and that no desire was a hinder the advancement of the gospel among the Gentiles. Later, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul said, there's nothing expressly wrong with eating meats offered to the idols because the false gods are nothing and cannot impugn the meat with special qualities. Meat offered to idols was cheaper, made it attractive to purchase. However, immature Gentiles who previously ate this meat believed it possessed a spiritual quality and they might find it offensive to other believers if other believers ate it. So for the sake of the conscience of the believers and not to offend somebody, Paul said, don't eat that meat. So let's, let's break that down. Let's break that down. And, and Dan, if you, if you see these verses and you want to throw them up there, th throw it up there so we can see that. But uh, y'all follow with me what's just happened, okay? Among the, among the Gentiles, there's a lot of false gods, okay? Y'all follow this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply something to our lives today. Among the Gentiles, there's a lot of false gods. And they offered, they offered sacrifices to these false gods, and they offered this ground chuck. I'm just using it as an, they offered meat, okay? They offered a ground chucks, for example. Now, because it was offered to the idols, the grocery stores made it cheaper because the grocery store believes that everybody needs to purchase this. You might not can purchase what you need to eat, but you need to purchase this to offer this meat to false idols. Paul says there is no spiritual quality in that meat. It's meat. That's it. They ain't nothing special about it. They ain't nothing, they ain't nothing, there's no spiritual gift to it. There's nothing there. However, it's becoming a stumbling block among the Gentiles. So what we're telling you is, since there's soaks that are that that are confused, they're spiritually immature to realize there's nothing there, what we're telling you is don't eat the meat. So now let's apply it to today. Everybody in this church knows I love to eat food. But if, if Stan is offended about me eating, if you're offended by this, I'm going to knock you out. If Stan was offended because I eat Debbie cakes, I 
I'll take my shoe off and throw it at you. If Stan is offended because I eat Debbie cakes, because Debbie cakes are, are, off, are offered as a, as, a, as a sacrifice to the idols that he came out of. Well, I'm just, y'all follow with me on this. I know that's silly, but you need to hear this. If Stan's seen me eating a Debbie cake, and he's like, <gasps> you can't do that. We offer those to the false gods in the city that I came from, the town over. We offered that. You can't do that. And I find out about that. Do you know what I need to do? Until Stan is matured as a Christian, I need to lay off the Debbie cakes, especially in front of Stan. Why? Because me doing that causes a stumbling block to somebody. Is that my, am, I, am, am I making sense? Now, for the record, Stan really does not care that I eat Debbie cakes. As a matter of fact, he may go get three, and he'll eat two, and I'll eat one. Okay, we'll eat Debbie cakes together. So Stan does not care about the Debbie cakes. I'm using that as a silly example. Now, am I saying that it's, a, it's silly that somebody is, 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 is caused a stumbling, that somebody believes some stuff like that? There's a lot of stuff that you and I might think is silly, but the thing about it is there is somebody that believes these things. I love bacon, but if I knew that eating bacon was going to cause a stumbling block in somebody's life, I will not eat bacon. Why? Because I am, I am more interested in me and that person making it for eternal life in heaven than I am satisfying a, ple- a, a, a personal self-desire, a self-pleasure. Do you, are you following what I'm saying? We've got to make sure that what we're doing is not causing a stumbling block in somebody else's life. This causes us to watch our attitudes, our actions. This causes us to watch things in our own lives because we do not need to be a stumbling block in somebody else's life. I just realized where I'm at in this Sunday school lesson, I ain't even got to the second point yet. These are great Sunday school lessons. Y'all, last week, I was so interested in teaching last week's lesson. I'm going to have to teach it later. God speaks to us through our conscience. There's a still, small voice in the back of our head that will not let us go until we know what is right and what is wrong. Do not silence your still, small voice. But check what it is saying against the Scriptures. I've had people come to me and they'll say, Brother Andy, is it okay if I, whatever, fill in the blank. I've had them come to me and they'll say, is it okay if I, if I, if I uh, get a tattoo? Is it okay if I drink a beer? Is it okay if I smoke? Is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if I do that? Is it okay? My first response is this. If you've got a still small voice questioning that in your head, you better follow that. If there's a question that has already come up, then guess what? You need to check that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God's already tugging at you, telling you not to do whatever it may be. And I'm just going to throw this out here, and I really don't care. This is going to take somebody if they watch this live stream off, and that'll be all right. There are some that believes that doing certain things is okay even though it causes a stumbling block in somebody else's life. They better watch that because I'm going to tell you something. I do not want anything to, in my life to cause a stumbling block to somebody else's because that person's going to be held to my account. 
if I knowingly do it. I personally, beyond a shadow of a doubt, believe that drinking alcohol, we, do, we need to abstain from that. We need to leave that alone. That's my, oh, that is me. Now, I can, I, can, I can show you scriptures all day long that says, no, you don't need to. Somebody can come right behind me and show you a scripture that says it's okay. Okay? I tell people, let me tell you, at the end of the day, you better check that between you and God, and that's what's important. Here, here's what I'm telling you. If, if I go into a restaurant, I know that that is wrong. I have other reasons why I know it's wrong, not even biblical-based. I have other personal reasons why I know it's wrong. And if I do that and I cause a stumbling block in somebody's life, guess what? It's going to be a problem, right? The call, and so therefore, I'm abstaining that those things that's going to call. Now, if somebody's got a problem eating Debbie cakes, we're going to have a conversation about that. But we've got to realize and understand we cannot be a stumbling block in people's lives. And that was what was going on in the church world. So let's move on. Let's go to the third section here. There's no way. We're going to go back. We're going to have to, we're going to go back and, and go through some of these lessons again on the unit of the church. These have been fantastic. And I hope that you're going back and you're reading these and you're studying these yourself. Go back into uh, carnality and Im immaturity. <laughs> this is funny. Carnality and immaturity. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can go back and read verses 1 through 8, but we're going to read verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Take a look at this. But I, brothers, could not address you as a spiritual people, but as a people of flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. For you're still in the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and having only in a human way, and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Are you not being merely human? In addition to legalism, prejudice, worldliness, pride, carnality, and immaturity, these things can filter into a church. These things can filter into a church. Carnality is when Christians act like, look like the world. Let me say that again. Carnality is when Christians act like and look like, behave like, the world. Immaturity is what... So let me, let's go back to carnality for just a second. If the world can't tell the difference between the church and the local bar, there's a problem. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, I didn't say nothing. Did, I, did anybody hear me say anything about music? Did anybody hear me say anything about lights or, or haze or smoke or whatever all that stuff is? Did anybody hear me say anything about that? I said if the church if the world cannot tell the difference between a church and a bar, there is a problem. There is a problem. There's more to it than music and lights and, 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 and those things. It's actions and attitudes as well. You cannot, church cannot act like the world and think they're going to change the world to be a Christian. 
It it doesn't work that way. We have got to be different. We have got to be set apart. We have got to act like we are a child of God. Immaturity. Hmm. When Christians grow and refuse to grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Little Hudson, one of our little babies in the church. If all he ever is fed is milk, if all he's ever fed is milk, will he grow? He's going to grow. It's just going to happen. He's going to grow. But is he going to grow strong? No. If, if he's five years old, he's eight, eight months old now, I think. If he's five years old and all he's ever been fed is a bottle of milk, His physical body is going to be bigger. But is he going to be strong? No. He's going to get stronger then than he is now. But is he going to be like another five-year-old? No. Why? Because he's never been given something to cause him to grow. And if church folks, if all they're doing is coming to the house of God to be fed spiritual milk and they never want any spiritual meat and potatoes, they will not grow. If all we want is something that's going to make us feel good, going to tickle our ears, does that any of this sound familiar? The Bible tells us that there's coming a day that people, that's all they're wanting is something that's going to make their ears feel good, make me think I'm doing something right, make me feel like I'm doing my part, making me feel like if that's all we're doing is coming to the house of God to make us feel better, there is a problem, right? Immature Christians are like babies in the faith. They still do or say things contrary to the faith that they live in front of others. Carnal and immature Christians are contrasted with spiritually mature Christians because those that are spiritually mature are those that can speak to a mountain and have it removed and thrown into the sea. I love this. You have a brand new Christian. They just got saved. And they'll look at me. They just got saved 35 seconds ago. And they'll look up and they say, Woo, I can take on every devil in the world. Sure, you feel like that, but wait till that first devil comes at you. Very next morning, you're like, Oh, I didn't get saved. Why? That first devil came and you didn't have, you didn't have the strength in order to fight against it. What we've got to realize is just like with our babies that comes to church, what we've got to do is we've got to be mature. We've got to grow in maturity as a Christian in order to get stronger. Paul, as he writes this letter, Paul desired to have a grown-up conversation with the Corinthian believers. When we talk to little babies, what do we do? If I walk over to Brother Chuck and I start talking to him like that, Brother Chuck's going to look at me like, He's going to turn around and walk away. I can't talk to Brother Chuck like I do to Hudson. Why? I can't, and, and, and on the other side, I cannot use the same words with Hudson that I use with Chuck. Why? Maturity. Grown up. Paul desired to have a grown up conversation with the Corinthian believers. Instead, he found himself needing to correct them and even scold them 
for tolerating misbehavior among their members. He wanted to take a deeper, he wanted to take them deeper and go beyond the elementary aspects of faith. And in other words, to get into the meat of the gospel. But instead, he's having to correct the babiness that's going on. This is something a lot of churches don't want to hear. They don't want, to, they don't want this concept because we, we want to think, whoop, glory to God, I've been saved for a hundred years. Whoop, glory, I'm, I'm saved. Hallelujah. They still act like a Christian baby. Folks, it's time to grow up. It's no matter how, how old you are spiritually speaking, there's people that's been saved for 20 and 30 years. There's been people that's in ministry for 20 and 30 years, and they still act like babies in Christ. What we've got to realize and understand, as we grow in God, we've got to mature spiritually. We've got to grow up. In other words, the things that used to bother us, they shouldn't be hindering us now. The things that used to take place should not be taking place in our, place, in our life right now. So what is it? I'll, I'll close this out with an example. If you have someone that walks into the church, you have somebody walks into the church, and I, I'm using this as an example. I'm not trying to be ugly or anything like that. I'm, I'm using this as an example. You have somebody walk into the church, and they are not dressed modest. As a mature Christian, I did not say that you condone their behavior. I did not say that you go to them and you scold them, but I say we must be the example to them to show them the difference. A mature, uh, a baby Christian, <gasps> can't believe all that. They, they react to it. Does that make sense to you and I? What we've got to realize and understand is there's going to, I want this to happen. I want people to come into Coosa Valley Church of God that don't look like, don't act like. I've already told y'all, I want two rows full of gays and lesbians. I'd love to have them sitting right over here, sitting right over here, wherever they're at. Why? They need to hear the word of God. A baby Christian would go up to them and, they would, and, and, and it would offend them. It would, be, it would be and repulse them. But as a mature Christian... You go, you shake their hand, you welcome in the house of God, you so glad to have you here, and you move on. Why? Because we need to be the example to show them what a Christian is all about. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Life feed, thank you so much for joining with us. Join us back in about 15 minutes at 11 o'clock for our Sunday morning worship. May the good Lord bless you as our prayer. Remember, if you have a prayer request, text it, the keyword prayer, to the number listed below. And we want to partner with, together with you in prayer. May God bless you. Amen.
Fall to the dark and blast out the wonder of See you. 